occult crimes, paranormal investigations, urban legends, and strange happenings. Welcome to Myths, Magic, and Murder. Hey, welcome to Myths, Magic, and Murder. This is episode 70. I'm Abby. I'm Kate, and we'll be your ghostesses on this darn day. It's a big windy day, no rain for us. Thank you for the weather update, Kate. You're welcome. I can't really see you at the minute because of our current makeshift setup as we try and get settled in our new place. Sorry for the quality of the last episode. I did everything I could to try and make it sound better. But yeah, so for now, we've just shoved Lotto Hug and Bear right in the middle of us. Toy Story 3 represent. Please don't sue me. Hello. Yeah. I'm looking into his eyes and pretending that they're Kate's for this episode. They're much similar, much more similar to mine than you would first think. Vacant, glazed over. Circular. But I think they're brown and mine are not. No thoughts behind them. True. <laughs> what are you covering today, Kate? This week, I'm going to be hitting you with some heavy true crime. I'll be covering Robert Hansen, otherwise known as the Butcher Baker. Nice. I'm going to be talking about serial killer John Edward Robinson, or the internet's first serial killer. But either way, there's another detail about him that I'm ready to share. I'm so excited because it's so wild, but we'll have to wait to get into it. Do you have any news for us before we, before we talk about that? Mine is not so much news. Oh. But. Is it about the weather again? It's not, no. We had a message over on Instagram from the lovely Emma. And she she shared a little spooky story with me. So I thought I'd share it with you guys. So Emma is from Maine, which is apparently a very spooky, deeply wooded place. And she was like, I saw a beast once. But maybe it's not enough info to do for an episode. A beast. A beast. Uh, she also suggests checking out the book Strange Maine by Michelle Solier. I will check that Represent. out. Represent. She runs an occult bookshop in Maine. So go check that out that if you're in Maine. wonderful. Yeah, she's set up right next to the Cryptozoology Museum in Portland, which we should also go check what out. What a life to live. Okay, so Emma saw the beast in the middle of the night on a full moon, which sounds ridiculous, but true. We were driving at 25 miles an hour on a dirt road in the middle of the woods, and I said, Oh look, a bear! Because I saw this thing crouching on the side of the road that looked like a bear at first. Understandable as to why you would say that. Side note, America is scary. <laughs> why can you just see bears on the side of the road? I was thinking this the other day. I saw a TikTok where it was like, I don't remember the name of the TikTok, or I'm sorry. It was just, you know, you're casually just looking while you're going to go sleep. You're scrolling for like eight hours nonstop. <laughs> and... It was this guy and he was like, climate change has meant that polar bears are mating with like brown bears. Oh my God. So we have like growler bears or Whoa. like grizzly bears. I, I don't know. All of the bears. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Lotso hugging bear. Um, <laughs> Lotso hugging polar bear. They were like, he was like, um, this is bad because obviously as climate change affects the world more, we're going to get these crazy dangerous bears like that will be in our civilization. And I was like, what? I've never seen a bear. And then I was like, oh my God, America has bears. Yeah, right. Just, they just have them. Imagine like driving places, down the obviously. road and being like, oh, look, a bear. Casually. I waited in a zoo for like 45 minutes to see a bear once and I didn't even see it. So I'm going to go back. And you guys are just seeing bears on the side of the street. <laughs> okay, so this bear then stood up and was standing more like a wolf. Then it started running alongside Emma's car which again was going about 25 miles an hour, which is pretty fast for a bear wolf beast, as she's written. She was able to see that it had kind of a sparse, coarse hair, almost like a wild pig. And then the weirdest thing happened, which is it started basically playing with the car. It was running alongside the front of the car, and so like obviously the car was swerving so they didn't hit it. And then it did that two or three more times. That's scary. Right? Um, and she was like, it was probably a total of three or four minutes, which doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're staring at a weird beast thing, <laughs> it can feel like forever, which I relate to. And apparently later, there was a similar sighting of something years before that in the same area, and that it had just jumped out in front of a woman's car as she was backing up into her carport. 
Carport. Yes, a carport. I had to look it up too. Basically, it's this. It's like a shelter. It's for a your, bus stop for, for a your, car. Yeah, for your car to go under so that it doesn't like get rained on. Why do you need that? How fucking funny is that? For what? <laughs> It's the most bougie car accessory. Cars you can are get. made of metal. You can just like they'll just dry. Cars are okay in rain. Do you guys know? They're waterproof. You don't have to build these shelters. <laughs> uh, she said it seemed like it was growling at her car and was going to attack it, but obviously this carport had a door, so she managed to close it quick enough to keep it out. And there was another sighting of something similar in Turner, Maine, rightfully called the Turner Beast. Uh, that was found dead on the side of the road a number of years ago. And Emma says it could have been a coyote or a really mangy dog, uh, but it was awfully weird looking and made a really big stir. That's very spooky. So now you know. I hope anyone that's in Maine, first of all, goes and checks out all of those things. And secondary, second, secondary? Secondly, is scared shitless <laughs> and just doesn't drive around at night. You should be afraid, basically. You should. Run for your lives, Maine. To be more afraid, let's talk about some true crime. Woo. So, my sources are medium.com, ABC News, murderpedia.org, true crime mag, oh, sorry, thecrimemag.com, Wikipedia, that's life, and heavy.com. I love that's life. I love it. You know that that's life is a wild magazine when this story is featured in there? I love it so much because I love that it it always covers things like my husband was cheating on me while I was pregnant with triplets and they, he was cheating on me with my own sister. You know what I mean? Who was dead and it was her ghost. Right? And it's just like, that's, that's life. life. <laughs> yeah, please, that's life. Sponsor us. <laughs> I always read you in hotels. Oh, you, you make a boring day fun again. So John Edward Robinson... John was born in 1943 in Illinois, in the US. He was the third of five children. His father was an alcoholic, and his mother was a strong believer in using strict discipline for her kids. But besides this, he seemed to have a pretty normal childhood, never showed any unusual behavior, from what I could find out at least. When he was 14 years old, he decided to join the Eagle Scouts, which he really enjoyed, especially because it allowed him to travel a bunch and at one point he travelled to London with the Scouts and they performed a song for the Queen. Wow. That's next level. It's pretty cool for the Scouts. It I is. always thought you just went to like the woods. Well, I think normally you do. Like I was in guides and we didn't sing for the Queen. <laughs> well, you should have. <laughs> you didn't get your opportunity. Unfortunately not. You have to join again. <laughs> just to do that? Yeah. I'm like nearly six foot towering above these children. I'm presuming I'm not a leader. I'm rejoining. No, no, no. Yeah, you're you're a scout again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A girl guide. Perfect. I'll sew on your little badges or whatever. I, I didn't go. Uh, my mum does that. Oh, sorry. Loser. <laughs> so it doesn't seem like John really knew what he wanted to do after school because he originally went to school to learn how to become a priest, but then he was kicked out for being a poor student. And then some years later, he changed his mind and enrolled at a college to become an x-ray technician. But he dropped out after two years. I mean, the two are similar. Mm. At the age of 21, he moved to Kansas City and married a woman named Nancy Jo Lynch. One year later, they had their first child together named John Jr. Two years after this, they had another child named Kimberly. And two years after this, they had twins named Christopher and Christine. People in the area knew him as a family man. You know, he took jobs as a scoutmaster, a coach for some sports teams. And he also became an x-ray technician at like this one company. So you may be wondering, like, how did he get that? Because he didn't finish school. Um, that's because he forged his credentials. I was not wondering that because I know many people that lie on their CV. Well, he did. He forged them. He didn't just lie. He made fake credentials. Wow, that's impressive. Yeah. And authorities did later learn this, but only after he was arrested for embezzling $33,000 from the company. Goodness me. The next year, he got a job as an insurance salesman but it did the exact same thing and got caught embezzling money from that company as well. So he decided to set up his own medical company where he got arrested again for security fraud and mail fraud. Listen up, if someone embezzles once, they're going to embezzle again. 
I don't know how I would go about embezzling. So an embezzle master, as it were, <laughs> is someone to look out for. I have no idea how people even embezzle. I'm not even 100% sure what it is. I know that it's taking money from the business, but like, what? The word confuses me because I know what embezzlement is, yeah. but I always get it confused with bedazzlement. Oh my God, you know bedazzle you... from your workplace? No, I didn't say bedazzle, I said bedazzle. Oh. But I see... Oh, one thing led to another I and here we are. You've made this weird jump. Now we're here. <laughs> I was just talking about like, you know, like glitter shoes. Oh, I, I mean, glitter was still there. Uh, I'm just going to move on from, <laughs> from this. So although this kept happening to John, he kept just repeating these dumbass mistakes over and over and continually getting caught. His community didn't notice that he wasn't the picture-perfect father man, and they just kind of brushed it, brushed past him. Father man? I put father, and I also wrote family man, my bullet points, <laughs> and then I just said father, father man. Father man. <laughs> like father man. He's the son of a father man. <laughs> so then he became a Sunday school teacher, and he managed to charm his way onto the director's board of a local charity. Not because he wanted to help, but Did because he, embezzle he wanted the funds. He wanted the praise. No, oh. he didn't. But he could have. He forged letters from the executive director of the charity, the mayor, and other leaders to himself, congratulating him on his wonderful volunteering efforts. And people bought this. And at the end of the year, he named himself the organization's man of the year and threw himself a party. Listen, I'm sure that this guy fucking sucks but i can respect that and i too would do that if you're not getting enough praise you gotta praise yourself hun what the fuck kate you gotta do it so throw yourself a party live your life see i've just wrote this guy was clearly a narcissist but maybe <laughs> you are too <laughs> oh no i just appreciate a bit of praise are you forging letters from the from the Prime Minister being like, Kate, your podcast is so good. Look, I mean, you got to do what you got to do, haven't you? Also in 1980, guess what the fuck happened? He got caught embezzling money. Yeah, I was going to say embezzling. And then he tried to set up a fake plant business after manipulating his friend for a lot of money. Sorry, one moment. Is the business fake or are the plants fake? The business is fake. Oh. So... His his friend's wife was dying and needed the money for medical treatment, but he was like, if you give me all this money, you'll get like twice as much back. But Ew. he didn't because his business was fake. What a dickhole. Classy guy. But this is where it gets obviously worse because true crime isn't just embezzlement, although it's, it could be. It's not. I thought we were the... Would you guys like an episode on just embezzlement? We're the embezzlement podcast. Come back for more embezzling funds. Based on our last conversation, I feel like we're not the people to talk to about embezzlement. No, we are not. And I have said embezzlement far too many times. Around the time of him starting his fake plant business, he also realised that he enjoyed sexually harassing his neighbours' wives, and he claims that he was the leader of a rape cult. Now, obviously no one really knows about that and whether it's true, because this is something that he was relatively proud of, but also he's clearly a massive liar. And if he values that as being like a cool, powerful thing, he's probably going to like make it more, you know, powerful than it actually is. He could have just like went on a chat room once. You don't really know where this guy. Yeah. In 1984, he started two more fake companies. He hired 19 year old, a 19 year old woman named Paula Godry to work as a sales rep. So Paula told her loved ones that John was sending her away for training, and that was, like, the last time they ever heard from her. So she completely vanished, and when the police were sent to John, he denied knowing anything about her disappearance, and a few days later, her parents were sent a letter written on a typewriter that said she was doing okay and thanking John for his help. Wow. He really can't get enough of the praise. I know, right? Even after she's, like obviously dead dickhead so the police stopped looking because they thought she was fine and paula was over 18 and they were just like oh she's gone i guess i'm Not imagining suspicious. that this like letter comes in and you know how like old 
well not old but in the 90s whenever there was like a a, mo- a movie about murder and there'd be a ransom note and it was like kind of cut out of like magazines it was just written on a typewriter i'm literally i don't know why i'm imagining that and everyone's like oh she's fine she's on holiday oh yeah no it's it's just a typewriter the following year john met a woman named lisa stacy who had a four-month-old daughter named tiffany he met them in a women's shelter and offered Lisa a job at his company, an apartment, and daycare for her baby. She agreed and she signed several sheets of blank paper. And that was the last time she was heard from. So that was like his trick for getting people's signatures and their sort of documents to look believable. Is that he'd just make them sign a blank paper and then he'd type onto them. So it looks like they'd typed it out and then signed it. You know what he probably also did that for? What? Embezzling. Possibly. So you may wonder what happened to the baby. So this is what I found out. It's, it's really wild. So John's brother and sister-in-law were trying really hard to adopt a baby. And it just wasn't working out, you know? It can be really hard to traditionally adopt. So John informed them that he knew a woman who had committed suicide and had left her four-month-old daughter, Tiffany. And would they like her? Wait. You can't just gift babies. So they obviously said yeah, because he seemed to be like a big businessman, because obviously he was, a, he was a massive liar. So they were like, oh, it's a private adoption. And he was like, yeah. And they didn't question him any further. They really wanted a child. So John asked for $5,500 in legal fees and forged adoption documents that had signatures from two lawyers and a judge. You can't just gift a baby. So the brother adopted the daughter, Tiffany. Well, he didn't, but yeah. And her birth mother was killed by her uncle. And nobody knew for a really long time. Obviously, there's more to this, and I will get to it later. But there are more victims, sadly, and I do want to cover them all. Oh, my goodness. We'll just put a pin in that. What? That was what I wanted to tell you in the beginning, because it's just absolutely ridiculous that's insane john also promised 27 year old Catherine clampett a job that would allow her to travel but she disappeared shortly after this another incredibly strange part of this case is that between 1987 and 1993 john was in prison for fraud and while he was inside he managed to woo the prison librarian and when he got out of prison she left her husband who was the prison doctor and change states to come and work with John and be with him. So I guess, you know, he's just a charming guy. So then John arranged for all of her checks to be sent to the local post office, and for years he cashed out her checks, even after she was never heard from again. What did this guy look like? Um, I will show you a photo of him. See, I've just been shown a photo. Photos will be on at Mids Magic Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, by the way. And... For those of you who can't be bothered to look, he looks like, you know, in a Disney movie where you've got the villain and then you've got their chubby kind of annoying sidekick. <laughs> yeah. That's him. Mm. I was expecting, you know, how, how everyone's like, oh, Ted Bundy was kind of hot. Like, I get it. Blah, blah, blah. You know, I yeah, understand Ted Bundy how. Ted Bundy was not hot, but I get what yeah. you Yeah. <laughs> oh, I understand no. like how he was so sort of charismatic and, and whatever. Yeah. It's one of those things where it's like when people talk about sort of serial killers being hot, it's less. I mean, some people are, are weird and they're like, yeah, they're still hot. But it's like Ted Bundy isn't hot because I know that he killed a bunch of people. But I guess at the time, if he was like really charming and like attractive. He was like an average looking guy. He was fine. You'd be attracted to him. But yeah. like I, a lot. Of serial killers that are like really charismatic, and obviously, you know, it's not the victim's fault at all. I don't understand why so many people are so trusting of other people. I guess maybe that's just a paranoia thing to say, but especially, you know, everyone's like, oh, it's their looks. And I'm like, these people are average or below average. But if you look, if you look average, but you have the confidence and the charm, then you're not just average. I have confidence and charm. I, you're you're acting like a serial killer this episode, Kate. You're a narcissist. I'm you're telling sorry. me you've got charm and good luck. Listen here, I'm and you charming. wield a knife currently. <laughs> but this slashing motion isn't good for you. Look, can we wait till the podcast is over to do this? <laughs> no, I know what you mean, but 
it's you know you can't really you can't really i guess understand unless you're in that position true i have not met serial killers hopefully well hopefully yeah. yeah So in the early 90s, John got on the internet to pursue BDSM relationships and lie to women. He met a 45-year-old woman named Sheila Faith, who was interested in being his submissive. She was the mother of a 15-year-old girl named Debbie, who used a wheelchair. John lied to Sheila and said that he was a wealthy businessman who could pay for her daughter's medical treatment and give Sheila a job. The two were never heard from again, and John cashed in any checks that were sent to Sheila. He also used the internet to target an art student named Isabella Luica. By 1999, he was really popular in this BDSM chat because he'd been using it quite a long time, so she was really excited to get to know him. He offered her a job and a relationship, and she was on board, and they agreed to be married. So he gave her a ring and he took her to a registrar, but he never claimed the marriage license, so they weren't technically married. But she believed that they were. So oh she my told goodness. she told her parents, like, I'm married, but she didn't say his name. Oh my goodness. Then he made her sign a 115-page submissive slave contract, which specified that he would have information to all of her bank accounts, which obviously isn't good because the man's a serial killer. And after this, she was never heard from again. Yeah, I feel like it's tough because there's a very thin line between bondage and abuse. And you've really, you've really got to know the other person. Mm. Well, I guess he just, she just presumed, you know, she was young. She probably just presumed that he was experienced. Oh, yeah. And like she was married to the guy. So, yeah, I understand why you would trust him, but it's rough. A poor girl. When asked about it you know, her disappearance, because obviously they were living together for a while, John claimed that she had been caught smoking marijuana and was deported because she was Polish. Wow. At this point, authorities were kind of on to John. They were very sceptical of him because he'd stopped covering his tracks so carefully. Like, he just sort of stopped, like, stopped, oh my God. He sort of started giving up. Well, and stopped he probably caring. just thought he'd never be caught. He probably thought yeah. he was smarter than everyone else. Like, it's probably typical serial killer, isn't it? But at the same time, the police didn't have any evidence to, like, search him yet or, or check him out properly. So they just had to keep an eye on him. His last victim was named Suzette Troughton, who'd moved to be with John again from the chat rooms. So John promised Suzanne that they would travel the world together. And she told her parents this. And she was upset because she'd miss her family, who she was close to, and her two beloved dogs. But she was also excited. Over the next few months, Suzanne's mother would receive several typed and signed letters from her daughter that were supposedly mailed from around the world, you know, while they're on their little travels. However, every letter was marked with Kansas postmarks, and there were mistakes. So John had spelled the names of her dogs wrong, and he'd spell everything else right, and her mother knew that she would never, she would never misspell that. It's your also, own. I mean, you name your own dogs. Yeah, but also she wasn't the best at spelling, so like for her to have misspelled her dogs' names, but not everything else, it's you know something mm. was fishy. Yeah. When confronted by her mother, John said that Suzanne had stolen his money and ran off with another man. A year later, in June two thousand, John was arrested. So police had been able to arrest him because one woman had filed for sexual battery. Another charged him for stealing her sex toys, which is pretty bizarre. But nevertheless, they gave the police, you know, a reason to obtain a search warrant and get in the farm that he lived on. So on the farm, they found the bodies of many of his victims inside of oil barrels. Oh, oil barrels, for God's sake. I will warn you now. Do not Google this. Unless you want to see incredibly graphic, graphic images, because this was a mistake that I made and then I immediately had a panic attack. I think I have seen an image of a body in a barrel. Yes, there are there are like three pictures. Yeah. Um I the website said graphic, but like I didn't think it'd be that graphic because I, I love think it. they could show that. I love like living on the edge because whenever we do this, especially the true crime ones, it's always like, warning, turn back now, super graphic, crime scene photos. And then it's just like that little yellow tag on top of like a wristwatch with a tiny it's bit like, of blood on. Like, you never know what you're going to get. But equally, sometimes you see like a full dead person 
yeah, you know, I don't mind it because I my brain blocks it out immediately. So like after the first 10 minutes, it's not that bad. But I'm always just like, how bad can it be? And then it's a knife and it's really not that bad. I'm like, okay, I just, you know, won't share that. But I'm not going to, I'm not going to like have nightmares. But then these were, these were like full on, full on bodies. Do you get that thing upsetting. where like if you're scrolling down um, and you're looking at sort of the more tame ones and then you'll keep scrolling and then one will come up. Do you get it where you internally jump? Yes, that's what this was like because it was just like the farm, and I was like, "Oh, this is what I want to see. I want to, I want to picture the area so I can understand it." Yeah, you don't want to picture the whole goddamn thing. Yeah, I don't want to see these people. Like, it's horrible, and it also feels pretty disrespectful, you know. Yeah. But anyways, yeah. So just un- unless you want to see that for like science purposes or something, don't bother searching that on the internet. Even if you want it for science purposes, why? Well, in 2002, John stood on trial for the murders of his victims, interfering with parental custody, theft, and kidnapping. He was given the death sentence, and he's currently on death row, but he's 77, so I'm not really sure if that's ever going to happen. Before we wrap up, let's go back to four-month-old Tiffany. Ah, yes. Or how, how she's known now, which is Heather. So when John stole her from Lisa Stacy, he called his brother he said that a woman had killed herself in a hotel and the baby was up for adoption through a private adoption agency. And I don't know, you know, what the logistics were there, but I guess if you trust your brother and he's like a businessman, yeah, why, he's why would he lie? Do you know what I mean? Like, I, you know, if my brother came to me and was like, here's this dog, I wouldn't be like, oh, he's, I only say dog because I don't want a child right now. So if he came to me like, oh, here's this dog, I wouldn't be like, oh my God, he's murdered these dog's owners and now he's given me this dog for £5,000. Like, I'd just be like, sick. Yeah, so then Tiffany was illegally adopted without her adoptive parents' knowledge. So they thought that they'd sign legal documents and her name was changed to Heather. She said that John always gave her the creeps, even though he was her dad's favourite brother. They didn't see each other very often because he lived six hours away, but they still obviously hung out on family occasions. On one of the occasions, John's son was getting married, Heather was 15, and her and her her uncle John were sort of dancing at the reception, and she was like, for some reason, this guy's like creeping me out, but there's no reason to. Oh my God, trust your gut. Trust your gut, girl. When she got home, she waited by the telephone upstairs for her friend to call her. Do you remember like when people would use house phones more often and you could have like, if you had like three in your house, you could all be on the phone at once listening to someone else's conversation. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It you'd just like pick that. it up and you'd stay really quiet. Yeah, I'd always breathe. My mum would be like, you are listening in. Yeah, your breaths are disastrously loud. Oh my God, my voice broke. Why does it do You're that? really passionate about Every it. episode. So yeah, she was waiting by the phone for her friend to call. And then the phone rang and she picked it up but she noticed that it was John's son-in-law and her dad also picked up the phone and was talking to him, but she could listen in. So while eavesdropping, she heard that John had been arrested for the murder of five women and they suspected Heather's mother may have been attacked too. Heather knew that she was adopted, so obviously like that part was no surprise, but she thought that obviously, you know, she one day would be able to meet her birth mum. Oh, that's and awful. never thought that anything like this could happen. They found out that the adoption papers were fraudulent. They were trying to find them, you know, as soon as this happened. And when they did, they were confirmed that they weren't they weren't legit. And then they did DNA tests, which proved that she was Tiffany Stacy. Imagine how awful you would feel as Heather's parents. I mean, you know, on the plus side, at least she had like a decent childhood. Oh yeah, don't get me but... wrong, but imagine like turning around and being like, not only is my brother a serial killer, but also my daughter isn't legally my daughter and is the victims of one of the people that my brother murdered. Yeah, it's horrible. God. Well, on the plus side, she was able to connect to her birth grandmother who saw her on TV um, because obviously this went crazy in the media. Yeah. And this confirmed sort of her true identity. So her, her grandmother got in contact with her. And then she was legally adopted by Don and his wife when she hit 18. So she is legally their child. Um, She also has a podcast called The Lisa Stacey Effect to uncover the truth about her mum. So it seems like she's doing well, but traumatizing nonetheless. 
Goodness me. I did think it was very interesting. It is. And that's all I have for you today. Thank you. Trauma. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously not going to do any scare scales, but you got anything that you want to talk about? Um, no. I feel like it was it was a really interesting case. Um it's really interesting to see because obviously normally with with other serial killers that we've looked at they've got kind of a a slope into crime um but i feel like embezzlement's a pretty big crime to start out with yeah it kind of just seems like he's he loves himself and he thinks he can get away with anything and he doesn't want to find like the time to to do anything he doesn't want to build relationships he doesn't want to work he just wants everything now you know yeah he just wants fame yeah he wants the the fame and the gratification of everyone to be like wow it's john the fame and the fortune and all thank you high school musical you're welcome well, if you like the podcast and you want to follow us on social media, you can do that at Myths Magic Pod. And if you want to get some extra cool content, then you can head over to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Myths Magic Murder. Over on Patreon, uh, we give you guys some extra episodes. We tell you what's coming out. You can see us live and in film and you can get 10% off of our merchandise, which you can go and peruse over on MythsMagicAndMurder.com. Over on the website as well, we've got a little referrals thing, little submissions thing, and you can also submit stories and things that you want to hear to our Gmail, which is midsmagicmurder at gmail.com. Uh, so if you've got any haunted happenings, spooky stories, or terrifying tales, go put one over there. Thank you. You're very welcome. Give me, give me a story, Kate. All right. Spook me out. So, my sources are... Wikipedia, Murderpedia, All That's Interesting, Independent, Fox News, Psychologist World, NHS, and I also read through a paper by Paul Fouch, Cody Rogers, and Pravani Naidu called A Psychobiography of Robert Hansen, The Butcher Baker. Okay. Okay, let's get right into it. Robert Christian Hansen was born in Estherville, Iowa. From what I can tell, it's a reasonably small town with a population of just over 6,000, so practically minuscule for the United States. On February 15th, back in 1939, Robert was born to Christian and Edna Hansen. Christian was a Danish immigrant who worked as a baker, but I couldn't find much information on his mother. It was honestly pretty impossible to even find the name, so. His dad, though, was extremely controlling and he was an authoritarian person. Not sure how much about authoritarian personalities you guys know, because it's more of a psychology thing. I'll talk more about it over on Patreon, but basically you could be described as authoritarian if you're very like black and white, there's no gray areas, and if you're reasonably like aggressive, violent, and negative towards people in general. Interesting. An example of this personality trait in his father is apparent when Robert was young. So he was left-handed, which infuriated his highly religious father, so he forced him to use his right hand, even though this was obviously pretty hard for him to do. I cannot imagine because I cannot write with my left hand to save my life. Plus his dad made him work long hours at the bakery, which Robert didn't want to do, but every time he complained... He was ignored and mocked by his dad. Damn. Even though he was like a young kid. Apparently his mother was quite compliant and like anti-confrontation. So she just facilitated this behavior. She just let it go. She didn't say anything. And it was because of this that Robert was understandably a pretty stressed kid. And he therefore developed a stutter, which made him excluded at school and then later he got really bad acne, so school was probably just the worst. Yikes, yeah, probably. I feel like the kid couldn't catch a break. To cool off after school, Robert started to find some extracurriculars. Two of which being hunting and archery, which seemed like the two scariest pastimes for a loner teenager in the United States to have. Oh my god, that's too real. But also... I'm not wrong. Definitely, yeah. 
I feel like if my kid came to me and was like, hey, I'm getting really excluded at school. What activities should I take up? I'd be like, bingo. Football. Jigsaws. Anything but hunting and archery combined. Yeah. Because I didn't <laughs> mean that, that when I said I wanted you to be more outdoorsy. I meant go ride a bike. Make some friends. Anyway, school passed without event. He was ignored and mocked, but that was kind of it. And as soon as he left, he enlisted in the Army Reserves in 1957, and they sent him over to New Jersey for training. Again, seemingly another red flag, but we'll just move on. When he was here, he lost his virginity to a sex worker, and he then engaged in that behaviour more often, until eventually realising that he didn't like quickies, in inverted commas. He was discharged from there after one year, and worked as an assistant drill instructor in Pocahontas, which is a place in Iowa, not the lady. While he was working here, he met a lady who he did end up marrying. I couldn't find her name online, but it's okay. She divorced him just a couple of years afterwards. Anyway, Richard got into a spot of trouble in 1960 because he burnt down a school bus when he was 21 years old. A spot of trouble. Yeah. A whole ass bus. A whole school bus. With nobody on it, I presume? No, no one on it. good. Why? Well, just cars. It was to like get back at like the schools that mocked him, you know? Yeah, he does not sound very stable. No, not at all. Obviously, because he burnt down a whole ass school bus, the police arrested him, but he ended up only serving 20 months of a three year prison sentence. And prison didn't do much to help him apart from diagnosing him with bipolar disorder with schizophrenic episodes. As a very brief explanation, bipolar is like someone who shows symptoms of depression and then who also goes through manic episodes, which is like super energetic, happy, distracted, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for me? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for yeah, you. I know. Who else? <laughs> Lotto, does that make sense I to thought, you? <laughs> I thought you were just talking like to the to the audience. I can't hear them. To the tacos, if you will. Don't call them that. <laughs> a schizophrenic episode could also include things like audio or visual hallucinations or delusions or paranoia, just things kind of like that. In addition, the psychiatrist on Robert's case said that he had an infantile personality and would fixate on getting his own back at groups of people he thought had done him wrong through the years. That's not healthy. A pretty poor mix. Mm, definitely. Combined with the arson, the hunting, and the archery. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not good. I would say that this isn't going to go anywhere good. I mean, not untreatable. You know, there are ways to aid that. Oh, definitely. It's not but like a death sentence. I just meant because we're talking about it on the podcast. Yeah. I'm presuming it doesn't yeah. go very well. Yeah. And that's the end. That was it. He's oh. fine. Oh, he got treated. Nothing bad happened. Yay. A few years later, Robert had been arrested a couple of times for petty theft, including the theft of a chainsaw. Oh, of course. He went to prison for the chainsaw theft. I think it was like five years. I don't think he did the full five years, but yeah. He then remarried, had two kids, and moved to Anchorage in Alaska. He started up his own bakery there and became a real part of the community. Oh, yay. He even set some hunting records. A changed man, you might think. Following in his his aggressive father's footsteps. Yeah. Unfortunately, though, like you say, this is is Myths, Magic and Murder, not Myths, Magic and Let's All Have a Nice Time. Myths, Magic and I Bake Bread on the Weekends. Aww, maybe we should do that. I'm not doing that with you. In 1971, he was arrested twice. The first time was for abducting and attempting to assault Susie Heppard with a deadly weapon. And the next was for kidnapping, like successfully kidnapping, and sexually assaulting Barbara Fields. In total, he was sentenced to five years in prison and was released after six months. Oh my god. Yeah. That's terrible. Yeah. 
That's two abductions and two at least attempts to assault. He got more for the chainsaw theft. Yeah. He could have just wanted to chop down a tree. He got more for a bus. Oh, yeah. Jesus Christ. No one's 100% sure when Robert really amped up his crimes, but in general, it's believed to be around 1972. Around this time, it was his MO to pick up a sex worker in his car and then hold her at gunpoint until they reached his cabin. So, like, he lived in a home with his wife and kids, and he also had a cabin because, like, he would go hunting a lot. Okay. From there, he would sexually assault them, and if they complied with him and, like, all of his demands, then he would release them, sort of, just back into the world. Like, he would go take them back into town, force them into secrecy, that kind of thing. Okay. But if they didn't, he would fly them out in his plane to a secluded area of the woods and release them, only to then hunt them down, sometimes for days, as if they were a wild animal. Eventually, he would either shoot or stab these women to death. What the fuck? Yeah. I was not expecting it to go this way. Yeah, he he hunted them. Oh my god. Yeah, he like looked for their tracks. That was like a game. Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. What the fuck? We've covered a lot of weird shit on this on this show. But this might be one of the worst. That's right? incredibly disturbing. What the fuck? Yeah. I am <laughs> what? Please continue, I guess. <laughs> You sure? I don't have anything else to say other than the same the same three words. Do you need a minute? Um, I'll I'll just process it as we go along. Okay. One day, though, he fucked up. He chose to target seventeen-year-old Cindy Paulson. Some of the sources say she was a sex worker; others don't. I, it's hard to tell. But the ones that do say she had been offered two hundred dollars from Robert to give him oral sex. She complied, and when he got into the car, he did his usual trick of pulling a gun on her and taking her to the cabin in Muldoon. He kept her here for a while and tortured her. Then, he took a nap on the nearby sofa. Just casually. Just took a nap. She was chained by her neck to the wall, and he just got on a couch nearby and took a nap. Fucking hell. When he awoke, he put her in his car and took her to the airport telling her en route about the horrible horrible things that were yet to come. He got out of the car to load the cockpit, and while he was doing this, Cindy took off her shoes, so like her hands were handcuffed in front of her. She took off her shoes, crawled from the back of the car into the front, because the back doors were locked. She opened the driver's door, and she fucking bolted it. Good. Get it, Cindy. Robert noticed and panicked, but it was too late. He was unable to catch up with her and she managed to successfully flag down a truck. She got in. She's naked. She's handcuffed. She is obviously visibly distressed. The driver took her to the safety of a nearby inn and she begged them to let her phone her boyfriend. Meanwhile, the truck driver phoned the police. When the police found Cindy, by that what I mean is she moved inns to go to the one that her boyfriend was at. Okay. To have someone that she knew, obviously. So the police went to the inn that the truck trucker had taken her to, and they were like, oh, she left. So the police had to drive to the other one. I feel that's quite a smart decision, though. Yeah. When the police found Cindy, she was still handcuffed, and she told them everything, including the fact that she'd left her shoes in the car to prove that it was Robert and that he had done this to her. What a smart woman. Right? She is a legend. She's 17. Fuck. And she had the smarts to take off her shoes. So she had to run barefoot. And she chose to do that as well. Wonderful. Absolutely wonderful woman. What incredible thinking. Wonderful. I'm so glad that, like, that's part of this story. Yeah. It isn't just... uh, absolute mess yeah the whole way along she also described her attacker included his stutter 
and the type of plane that he owned. The only trouble was, the person in charge of the rape team was biased. Mm. And victim blamed. And just was awful. And that is not my opinion. That is the opinion of everyone that was part of that police force. So, this police officer didn't think it could possibly be Robert. Because he was just a meek village baker with a stutter and a family. They questioned him, but he said Cindy was making this all up because she was trying to extort him. And Robert had a friend who provided a false alibi for him. So the police were like, ah, it's not you. Just get out of here. No. It's okay, though, because the Alaska state troopers were absolutely on it. Yeah. They I'm knew. having a lot of emotions. I know. This one. They knew there was a serial killer because more than a few sex workers had gone missing and bodies had started turning up. I think at this point there had been three bodies, and then the FBI came in. They didn't know about Robert, because obviously the FBI sort of go to like certain locations. They're not always like from around there. They don't always know everyone. But they made a profile of the killer. John Douglas, who's like OG FBI profiler, absolute babe, said that the killer was an experienced hunter with low self-esteem and a history of being rejected by women. As well as this, he probably had a stutter. Wow, kept, that's good. And kept souvenirs from his murders. How incredible is that? That's pretty incredible. So just like that, Robert seems to fit the bill again. So police got a search warrant for his plane, car, and both of his homes. Here they found, like in the home they found a map of an area with 37 X's on. Some of which matched up to where police had already found dead bodies. As well as this, there was a stash of jewellery in Robert's home, one of which was a fish necklace, which was identified as belonging to one of the victims. So Robert was fucked. Get wrecked. He confessed to 17 murders, after a ballistics check had been done. 17. Yeah. So the wow. the ballistics check was basically like, look, this is your rifle. These are the casings that we found. We know it's you. And then he was like, okay, I'll do a plea deal with you. He confessed to 17 murders. Only 12 bodies were ever found. And he was only charged with four as part of his plea bargain. It's thought that he probably killed about 21 people in total, though. Wow, that is awful. He was sentenced to 461 years plus life in prison without <sighs> parole in 1984, and in 2014 he died at age 75. Get wrecked. So from a psychology point of view... It's kind of thought that he targeted women because he'd seen them as weak throughout his life. So starting with his mum, who wouldn't stand up to his father. And then from there, he had a hatred towards women in general because he was mocked in school by the girls. They humiliated him regularly for both his appearance and his speech problems. And then when he solicited sex workers, he was probably sort of perpetuating that he was in charge because like he was the customer. Yeah, I guess if you combine that with um, when you said earlier that he had that sort of desire to get back at people. The infantile personality, yeah. Yeah, if you that's a bad mix of things. Well as well like experience. If he's going to sex workers, it's kind of just in his mind that women are just there for pleasure and they're weaker than men. Um obviously that's not the case, but that's kind of what people think went on in his head. Yeah, that would make sense. I mean he's still absolutely to blame for his actions. Oh no, I you know we say this every single time. Obviously the guy was an evil bastard, but you it's interesting to try and imagine how someone's brain would work like that because obviously yeah. I would I would never even think of doing that. Like not even just like I would never kill someone. Obviously I would not. I've never had the urge to do that. But to make it that sick and that messed up. Yeah. How do you, how does your brain work like that? How does that happen? Yeah. 
It's it's absolutely yeah. It's it's crazy. Wild, big wild. Yeah. And now you know. Now I know. I can't believe I've I'd heard of that one previously. I couldn't remember his name, but I'd heard from sort of several different sources like TV, uh, other podcasts and stuff about the shoes in the back seat. But it wasn't until I got to that point in researching, it was like a couple hours in, and I was like, oh my fucking god, it's that one. I've never heard of this. Yeah. When you told me Butcher Baker, I thought you meant like Sweeney Todd. <laughs> oh, no. Thing. No, no, no. But now I know. It was worse somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I would say equally bad. One of them is fictional. Is that based off of anything? I don't know. Maybe I should know. Maybe we should know that. Maybe. I mean, possibly we should know that. I feel like that would be something we should probably know. Well, if you know that, to save us the effort, let us know. <laughs> quick, quick, quick search on the interwebs. Yeah. And also let us know if you guys have heard of any other true crime things where a kick-ass woman absolutely saves the day because that shoe thing that stuck with me yeah that was incredible that is so good that is so much quick thinking and bravery absolutely admirable we should cover more female serial killers i feel like we haven't done that in a really long time i think the last one was the blood countess yeah that was that was a while ago Huh. I'm not sure. We'll, we'll definitely look into that, though. I've just had a, had a brain thought. Brain well, thought, as yeah. most of them are. Uh, yeah, let us know what you want to hear. Let us know what you enjoy. Let us know what you have for dinner. Give us a five out of five on iTunes and then write exactly what your coffee order is so that if we ever meet, we can get you a coffee. We can watch you buy your own coffee. Yeah, and we'll confirm whether you got it right. Yeah, <laughs> we'll score you out of ten. We'll have little little cards that we hold up. It'll be great. Yeah, hopefully we'll never be able to do a meet and greet because... Good God, that'll take a while. The people at Starbucks will hate us. We're going to Starbucks, are you confirming that then? Yeah, Starbies. Fuck yeah. Okay. Don't listen before bed. Listen before bed. <laughs>